Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. Diane is a leading small business development and leadership coach, author, and speaker who is passionate about sharing valuable ideas, tips, and techniques with business professionals worldwide. Diane brings you the world's experts and gurus in all things business, whether it's sales, structure, social media, planning, or plateauing, guests bring their expertise and energy to each episode. When growing your business is your focus, Accelerate Your Business Growth is the show to listen to. Got a topic or guest suggestion? Let Diane know. The goal is to make sure you have the information you need to move your business forward. Thanks for joining us. Settle in and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for joining me. Head on over to audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth and sign up for a free trial of audible.com. And then while you're there, go exploring. There's a lot you may not know about that you can listen to. The Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast continues to enjoy inclusion on lists of the best podcasts to listen to uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, which I have to say, I, you know, it's a, a huge honor, and it's really because of the guests. These are folks who have expertise in particular, you know, specific areas of business, and they join me for a conversation where they share that expertise with all of you. Today, I am pleased to say that my guest is Jeff Johnston. Iowa businessman Jeff Johnston is on a mission to help entrepreneurs find success while still being healthy and strong. His new book, This One's For You, tells his story of losing a son to overdose and the life lessons he has gleaned from that experience. Jeff is a speaker, author, and a tireless thinker. Thanks so much for joining me today, Jeff. Oh, Diane, thank you. I'm, I'm honored and humbled to have an opportunity to still continue this uh, amazing journey that I've been kind of thrust onto. Well, I, I'm really glad you're here. I am really sorry uh, to hear about your son. Um, and I admire uh, how you've taken that experience and, and turned it into something positive. Well, thank you very much. Um, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm one, one voice out here, uh, unfortunately, on a, in, a, in a pretty big boat. Um, there's, about yeah. there's about 190 people a day die in the United States to uh, overdose. And wow. uh, in the state of Iowa, when our son died uh, in 2016, it was 185 a year. Now we're looking at 185 a day in the United States. So 
unfortunately I am a member of a club that I didn't ask to join and I yeah. can't quit, you know? Um, yeah. Wow. That's crazy. That number. It is. And it's not getting any better. And I just, um, I listened to a podcast last night to, uh, an individual I'm becoming, uh, quite acquainted with. And he was talking about, um, actually, uh, he had a guest on where his son had committed suicide last week and he was, a uh, highly ranked quarterback and he was a four point student, but COVID yeah. forced him, forced him home and, and he couldn't deal with his depression. So I think what I'll do today is kind of just navigate through what happened to me and what I've learned. And, you know, from, from a dad's perspective and also from a business owner's perspective and kind of how things that I've dealt with in my personal life have really helped me uh, succeed in my business life, or at least keep it, keep it afloat during all this. So, um, and I appreciate that. Uh, let's start, um, I mean, this might be sort of an interesting question uh, because I think, it, you know, there's two rails here, right? So mm -hmm. um, owning a business, if we just look at that on its own, it's great. A lot of people aren't happy, um, you know, as business owners and um, a lot of them, you know, become addicted to their job or to something worse, um, or I, I would imagine that some people are so involved and invested in their job that they lose touch with their family, you know, their kids. Um, so I, I'm curious, you know, how do people find that happiness and peace while they're pursuing their dreams and, and not lose their connections? What are your thoughts on that? That, that's a great question. And, and quite honestly, um, I'm not sure I could ever stop talking about this concept you just discussed, because I write in the book about the difference that I learned between happiness and peace. Mm. And, you know, at 54 years old, I look back on what happened to me the last four years of my life. And even though I was building a very successful practice and had what most people said they were envious of where I was at in my life, happily married, successful kids. I mean, everything's going good. Um, and, and I still had this big gaping hole in my life. And I think when Seth died, which I'll talk a little bit about that particular day, yeah, I, I finally decided that happiness to me was something I wasn't going to chase anymore because it was such a short-term emotive state. It was buying a car, getting new cufflinks, you know, um, just very short-term things. And to me, I kind of envision that dam springing us, you know, water and you're putting on two hands and then three more holes pop open. It was like, every time I dealt with one problem, I had, I had more to put out. And then, um, now I've kind of, I've kind of decided that for me, it's more about personal well-being and being at peace. And so I've kind of, I've kind of, um, switched my objectives in my life. And now I'm looking at ways that I could increase my, my day-to-day, -day, my, my well-being and those around me and at the same time, just get more peaceful with where I'm at. And not, not that I'm giving up the chase. I mean, I still own my company. I still, you know, am managing it um, from a different um, perspective, a, a different lens, I guess I would say. But I am substantially more at peace in my life than I've ever been in my life. And really? I yeah, I've lost uh, one of my three boys to heroin. I lost a 20-year marriage to alcoholism. So, wow. um, and all this happened in the last four years of my life. But 
our, our company has thrived during this time. And I'm going to talk a little bit about how I was able to pull that off. And it's something I think um, has given me an opportunity to talk to business owners about chasing that carrot in front of you. But then again, what do you do when you catch it? You know, I mean, I write about, again, about that analogy with the dog, you know, we chase the dog chases that car and then he doesn't ever think what's he going to do when he catches the car. Yeah. And I think, I think as business owners, we build up our business and we get all the accolades and we get the, everything that we think is what defines well-being. but then we have a life event happen, which is completely unavoidable. Um, there's nobody in the history of living that's ever been able to go through and avoid chaos or tragedy or trauma. Right. And so I've learned to develop skills and I talk about it in my book about my coping mechanisms and things that I've developed. And, you know, I, I hate to say it, but Diane, it took, it took the death of my oldest son. Excuse me. Um, sure. It took the death of my oldest son for me to realize that, you know, in order for me to, to achieve true peace in my life, I needed moments far from peace as I could possibly get. And, I have to say that I have been as far from peace that I can be. And so now I understand what true peace really is. And it's kind of a philosophical way to look at life, but um, I'm a much better human being. I'm a better dad. And I'm a substantially better business owner having dealt with this. Um, as you can see, it's still very raw. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to get over it. I, have, I don't want to bury my son. Um, right. I want to chase, I want to chase him like that dog. And I know I'm not going to catch him, but. I'm not going to stop chasing him. So how, so, so how have you been able to continue to build a, a successful business in the, in the face of, you know, tragedy? Well, I think, in retrospect, when I look back at what transpired, there's one thing that really saved me and saved my company. And by the way, I own a company called Premier Investments of Iowa, and I started it at 23 years old right out of college. So this is all I've ever done. It's a wealth management company. I have a business owner that owns the company with me. We've been lifelong friends and I have nine financial advisors in my group and we have um, seven full-time staff and we manage about 650 million of assets under management is what it's called. And anyway, so what happened was the day that Seth died, um, I basically went into hibernation for about a year and pondered many things. Uh, and I'm not going to lie to you. I, I, I pondered joining my son, um, mm -hmm. which I think is just part of the grieving process. Um, but I tell you what, Diane, what really saved me and I, I'm, I'm sincere about this was the fact that, and I don't know if it was luck, happenstance, or by design, but I had set my company up to not be dependent on me being there each day. I delegated so well, and I have a real simple strategy I use for delegation that I, I used way before Seth died, that, that the fact I could step away and take care of my well-being, my emotional frame of mind, and get stronger and not have to go to work was what saved my life. And I'm now out talking to groups and rotary clubs and business organizations about, you know, you have to make some decisions when you're building your company up. Are you comfortable delegating or are you a, a control freak? And if you're a control freak, 
and you don't trust people and then you have a life event yeah you have to think about how, how how's your how's your how's your um what you've built up your your lifeblood your everything you've done how's that going to stand on its own two feet if it's solely dependent on you so i'm trying to teach business owners to learn to delegate and to be honest with you i took a year off and i didn't uh, i don't i don't think i went into the office more than a handful of times and my company got better when I was out. Now, what does that tell you about my leadership skills, I guess? Uh, uh, they didn't miss me, Diane. Um, Congratulations. Yeah, I guess I delegated too well. But and then I did go back and I decided that um, I had a situation with an individual client that had worked with me for many years. And I was in the office, I wasn't in the best frame of mind, I was trying to get back into the grind. And this was about two years after my son had died. My marriage was struggling. Um, I had just given up alcohol. I, I, I stopped drinking a little over three years ago. I'll talk about how easy that's been for me to quit. But, and I was in the office and this individual was upset that there was a hundred dollar a year annual fee on her IRA. And she had made like $85,000 that year in, in gains. Wow. And I just looked at her yeah. and, I said, and I said, excuse me. Now I've been doing this for 30 years. I said, yeah. excuse me, I, excuse me. And I walked out of the office. I walked down the hall to my business partner and I said, Brock, I'm done. I don't, I don't want to see people anymore. And I never went back in the office and I've not seen a client since. Wow. And, yeah. And that's kind of how I live my life. I make decisions and I move on. I, I do not live too much in the world of hindsight and regret. Um, and I just, it was, it was one of those epiphany moments. And I, I start my book off with a, an epiphany moment I had at a high school class when I was talking about um, what happened and so forth. And a 14 year old came up to me and was obviously visibly shaken. And he had told me that he was an alcoholic and he'd been in rehab and it was 14 years old. And, and, that, set, and that set me off like, okay, I have to, I have to keep telling this story because right. they're, they're, the age of first use in our country, unfortunately is 14. But going back to that individual, what I learned at that particular moment is that I had achieved professionally really what I wanted to achieve since I came into the business and the fact that I could just literally walk away and still be in charge of the company. I still own the majority shares of premier, but my organization just took me under their wing and said, Jeff, you know what? You take care of Jeff and your family and we'll take care of your clients. And I am, I am forever grateful for the fact that um, I have such a tremendous uh, organization that I have, I've built up around me to not only run a very profitable organization, but also be there for a family for me when I really needed them. So will you talk some about how that delegation works? Because I think a lot of business owners, first of all, I agree with you, they need to delegate. But I also think that listening to this, it, it becomes more um, apparent and more urgent that they delegate. Well, yeah, and let me go back a little bit about um, our organization when I was at, at full steam. So um, previous to October 4th, 2016, that was the day that uh, my son died. Um, I was 50 years old, happily married, running a successful company. I had a radio show, which I still host uh, every Tuesday night called the uh, Premier Investments of Iowa Financial Hour. And that's been going on 11 years. We had a TV show. I had all these really good things going. And then boom, all of a sudden, you know, Seth dies. Yeah. And what I did is I went back and kind of uh, looked through some old 
files and notes I had on some of our strategic planning meetings and some of the, the group things we had. And I kept coming across, you know, that the, the Jim Collins, good to great mm-hmm. ideology or mindset. And I realized I was a big fan of his books and I read them all. And our, our staff even took his, his, um, his class or course, I guess he had come up with. But I just kind of, I, I said, you know, I, I developed an organization from that book of that, you know, find great humans and then invent jobs for them instead of hiring people to fill a job and then struggling with whether that person was the right person. I just decided that I look back in hindsight and thought, you know, maybe by accident, I had just been lucky that I found great human beings and I just made up positions for them. Hey, I want you to work for me. I don't know what you're going to do, but I'll find a job for you. Hmm. And, and then when Seth died, I had all these great human beings that weren't clock punchers. They were, they were visionaries. They were, they were, they were, um, they were people that were on the same side of the, the same side of the fence I was on. And so that provided me a lot of stability. So that investing in others, um, uh, ideology, I guess, or I guess mindset that Jim Collins had really helped. And then something I practiced, Diane, that I think any business person out there could, and I've used, I, the other day I was on a podcast for financial advisors and there was like 50 people and I brought up this idea and out of the whole hour I was on, this was the one thing that I kept getting reaction from hmm. that they're like, like, wow, this is awesome. And here's, here's my idea that I've been using way before Seth died was something I came up with called the knowledge, desire, and time test. So it's the KDT. And what this is, 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 is for me, when I need to make a decision, such as mowing my yard, doing my taxes, cutting my own hair, you know, whatever it, whatever it's <laughs> going to be, uh, I decided that if I had the knowledge, desire, and time to do that particular task, then I can, then I can do it myself. I can be a do-it-yourselfer. If I lack the knowledge, the desire, or the time, any one of those three, then that is a, a good um, uh, a task that I can delegate to somebody. So going back to, say, like mowing my yard, I used to mow my yard all the time. Well, it was two hours, riding lawnmower. I, I don't enjoy it. I didn't have the desire. I had the time. I don't know if I had the knowledge. I mean, when my motor, when my lawnmower broke down, I had to have someone come out and repair it. I just, I just decided, you know, I don't want to mow my yard anymore. So it happened to be my next door neighbor had some company over there that the guy would back up, bring his mower out and half an hour mow his yard and leave. And I walked over there and said, how much does it cost? And he told me, and I said, well, just take my mower. You can have my riding lawnmower. I want, I want 10 free mows and you can have my mower. And I've never mowed my yard since. And <laughs> it's $50 a time he comes out, but two hours now. Yeah. Every time I freed up. And so I, I, I talk about in, in my presentations about when you, when you institute this knowledge, desire, and time kind of a delegating mentality, well, the free time you get or whatever you obtain back that you would have been spending, whether it's you know human capital or, or financial capital, well, then what are you going to do with it? And for me, I, I decided to, I would get into things like meditation, uh, writing, speaking some of the passions that I really got into so that's a really small thing I just brought up but I think when people hear this they're going to grab their piece of paper and write knowledge desire and time because each right. day they're they're always thinking about things that are are time sucks I call them things that are taking up their time um, or or just your desire I, I just don't want to do my own taxes I'm a financial yeah. advisor I have every license possible to do investments but I just don't want to do my taxes so I pay someone right. to do them you know? Well, yeah, I think that is tremendously valuable. And one of the things that I liked most about what you said was that 
with the time that you gained, you um, practiced self-care. So right. it wasn't just that you said, okay, now I can put this time back in my business. You right. said, you know, how can I use this time to improve my existence? Right. It's a big deal, I think, uh, you know, yeah. and, and valuable for people to hear. Um, Jeff, I'm going to take a quick sponsor break and then yeah, we'll sure. continue. The Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. And I think you're probably totally aware of the audiobooks that, you know, the thousands of titles of audiobooks. What you may not realize is there is so much other content there. There are Audible Originals, podcasts, guided meditations, uh, news, all sorts of things. So I am offering you a free trial. If you go to audibletrial.com slash business growth, you can pick up a free trial of audible.com and you can check it out for yourself, which of course I highly recommend. Interested in getting some help with your sales strategy? Pick up a copy of Succeed Without Selling on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Today we're speaking to Jeff Johnston about leading undetoured. Uh, sorry, that was a terrible way of saying that, undeterred. Uh, so, Jeff, um, you also talk about successful failing, and I'm wondering if you could expand on that and explain, you know, what that is and how you think that benefits business owners. Well, you know, it's that mindset again, going back to, you know, do you look at obstacles or look at uh, challenges that you have? Uh, or maybe mistakes that you had made as, um, as, as failures. And I write in my book again, that it's only, a, it's only cemented as a failure if nothing is learned. Yeah. And so my, my middle son, Ian is a uh, division one college golfer. And when we would be in tournaments, when he was younger, he would, you know, miss a putt or hit the ball out of bounds. And then after the round, he would comment how, his round was such a failure. And I would ask him, you know, well, what'd you learn from your round? He would tell me a couple of things. And I said, well, then Ian, it's not a failure. Your, your final score is not a failure. Um, it's, it's your, how you accept that final score and how'd you learn from it? And I did catch uh, a short thing you did on your, um, on your web, on your site that said golf teaches us about. Uh, yeah. Ourselves. What golf teaches us about sales. Yeah. yeah. I, I listened to that and I thought, you know, there's a whole chapter in my book called golf saved my life how I immersed myself into my son's uh, golf uh, dreams huh. to get away, to distract myself. And really sure. golf became, golf became a huge, a huge part of our story. And actually CBS sports came out for four days and stayed with us and did a whole um, about a 10 minute documentary. Uh, and Zach Johnson, the professional golfer ended up narrating it. And it's actually wow. on the, it's on the internet. If someone just put in Ian Johnston, CBS sports, they can watch the, nine or 10 minute documentaries acted. So golf was one thing that I immersed myself into to distract me from dealing with the, the death of um, the death of our son. So, uh, so I, I am completely with you on this philosophy. I always say that there's no such thing as failure. There's lessons learned. So right. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Now you also talk about negative habits 
and emotions and negative visualization. Yeah. Okay. So help me understand how it is possible to live positively with negative thinking. It's uh, I'm I'm so happy that you're you're bringing this these things up because I literally could talk for an hour on this just one question you asked me, um, and it goes back to a couple different things. Um, I write again in the book, and I have um, blogs now that are posting on my livingundeterred.com uh, website, and one of them was um, positive living with negative thinking, and it's that stoic philosophy, and I'm I'm a big stoic. Uh, uh, believer. I've, I've followed Marcus Aurelius and Seneca and all these people that have been around for a long time, but it seems like there's this resurgence in stoicism. Um, a lot of the NFL coaches and college coaches are big stoic advocates. So hmm. one mindset they have is something called negative visualization. And what it is, is a very good example is you're, you're tucking your child in for bed and it's been a long day and you're stressed, maybe you're having issues with your marriage, maybe you're battling alcoholism, maybe you're battling uh, financial problems. And you're so distracted in those that you just tuck your daughter in or whatever, then you, you leave and you don't really ponder what would happen if this is the last time you ever saw your daughter, or, or I'm sorry, your child. And, and so negative visualization teaches you to really focus on the specific moment that you're in. And so when you're tucking your child in at night, kiss them on the cheek, tell them you love them, hold them, uh, enjoy that, that special moment you have, because it could be the last time you ever see your child, because there is a last time for everything. I mean, that's, right. a, that's a fact. And I go back to the last, and this, um, I talk about this in the book, but when Seth, um, the last thing I ever said to Seth, and again, obviously, if I knew he was going to die, yeah. I would have said something different, but the last thing I said to him, he was in my garage and he had just got out of prison. And I turned to him, I said, Seth, you need to quit drinking. And I turned away and walked away from him. Mm -hmm. I never saw him. I never saw him again. And that is something I have to take with me the rest of my life. And I, I'm not, I'm not upset or crying because I'm torturing myself. I'm just disappointed in myself that I didn't realize it. Every moment has a last moment. I think his parents were so obsessed with success that we just lose focus of the fact that this really could be the last time you ever say, I love you to your husband or your, or your wife or your mom or dad, or even your pet. And we just, we have to learn to live in the moment as, as human beings and be much more appreciative for what we have. And, um, you know, to, to learn to live in the now, because it's so easy to, to get caught up in, in, the world that we want versus the world that we, we, we have, you know, the reality. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, that negative visualization idea or my mindset, I practice literally a thousand times a day. Um, you know, even just talking to you, I, I, I'm not, I'm not a person that is superstitious. I don't believe in fate and all that, but this could be the last time that I ever talk to you. So I have to enjoy this moment and, and be right. appreciative and be humble and be honored that you gave me this chance to tell my story and, and not, and not, and not take advantage of it, I guess. Um, so, you know, and then going back to the negative emotions and negative habits, I think far too often we see people then say, well, you don't want to be jealous. You don't want to be envious. You don't want to be angry. And I'm like, you know what? That's not true. You know, we're not computers. We're not robots. We're human beings. I think negative emotions can be a catalyst to huge things. I built my company up because I was jealous of other financial advisors that were better than me. Um, 
Hmm. I got my radio, I got my radio show to be one of the most successful radio shows around here because I was jealous of other people that did better radio shows. Um, your podcast, your website has got me motivated to improve mine. So jealousy and envy aren't bad emotions. The problem is, is when we develop bad habits and those are smoking, drinking, lying, eating unhealthy, um, destructive habits are the problems for people, not, not emotions. I, I, I think there's far too much, uh, I don't know, people don't understand the negative emotions actually, if, if, performed the right way or harvested the right way can become great catalysts for you and what you do in your life. You just don't want them to be very long-term. You want the lifespan of negative emotions to be very short. So that really is, I mean, it really, so, you know, what I'm hearing is it's not the negative emotion. It's what do you do with the negative emotion? Right. Right. Yeah. Yep. No question that the negative habits are bad. I mean, you, you yeah. can't find nothing ever good comes out of negative habits. No. So, Right. I, I, I tell a lot of people I talk to, you know, let's let's be okay with negative emotions. That's what makes us tick. That's what makes us human. But let's really try to stay away from the self-destructive things, you know, toxic websites and, you know, things that you follow on TV that are negative and everyone's complaining. These are things that aren't adding any well-being to your life. You know? Right. Right. Exactly. Okay. Now, I have to ask this question, uh, partly because I'm fascinated and I can't wait to hear what the answer is. Um, and also because, you know, some of what we've been talking about is about addiction and, and you know, negative habits and things. Um, are there addictions that are good to have as business owners? A absolutely. And I, I, I have ADD. I have uh, what I would consider higher level ADD. I've had it my whole life. I've never been medicated. My dad was a doctor and he told me that ADD was a superpower. So my whole life, I, I felt sorry for kids that didn't have ADD. I just believed <laughs> That's it. That's great. And, well, unfortunately with my son, Seth, who was diagnosed with ADD, he took it as a curse. He took it as uh... a disease. And so he started abusing Adderall and all that. And that was the beginning of the downfall for him. So uh... that, that diagnosis of ADD was just presented very poorly by the medical individual he was talking with. And I probably didn't intervene well enough, but again, I have the benefit of hindsight, but, yeah. um, but yeah, ad addictions are, are awesome. Uh, addicted to telling the truth, addicted to reading, huh. addicted to working out, eating healthy, addicted to, you know, being around positive people. Th these are all really good addictions. Um, and I do an experiment when I talk to high school classes and it, I always get a chuckle because I always ask them, you know, um, give me some addictions. And normally I, most of my classes are either, you know, eighth, ninth, 10th or 11th graders. And without question, everybody gives a negative addiction. Sure. You know? Oh, drugs, you know, cheating, smoking, drinking. And I'm like, well, I didn't say net. I didn't say positive or negative addictions. I said, give me an addiction. And then they kind of said, wow, that, there could be good addiction. I said, Absolutely. There's good addictions. Don't let people tell you they're not being an addict is awesome. I, I'm, a, I'm an addict 100% every minute of my life. It's just I'm an addict towards the positive things. So I'm trying to change the narrative specifically to really dial down for me, Diane, is the narrative that we put labels on people for things like ADD, right. um, you know, uh, bipolar, uh, depression. I absolutely detest that word. I, I, I probably have had depression in my life, but I tricked my brain to not believe in the concept of depression. 
And I know every medical person listening is going to say, well, Jeff, you're just, you're a wacko. Well, you know what? It works for me. I have depressive moments. <laughs> I've, I've been in a fetal position. I, I have done everything that would be clinically defined as being depressed, but I allow myself not to buy into that narrative. So sure, I, I get depressive moments, but I am not a depressed human being. I've never right. been depressed in my entire life. Yeah. And the same thing with, uh, yeah, the same thing with addiction and, and the, I'm kind of bucking heads with, with some people, but you know, at this point at 54 with the disease, yeah. now, I, really, I really don't care about bucking heads. Um, but I know some people are so hung on the disease approach that, Hey, you know, you're an alcoholic, here's a label on your forehead and your parents were an alcoholic, your grandparents an alcoholic. So with that information, you are an alcoholic. I'm saying, no, I, I, I don't, I don't believe that narrative. Um, it, 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 it didn't, it didn't work for me. In other words, I didn't buy into it. I believe we have a lot more choice over these things than we give ourselves credit to. I'm not saying that alcohol is not a disease, but I'm saying having 20 beers is substance abuse. And that's, that's something you can control. Yeah. Substance abuse to me is where I'm really focusing. I'm not going to argue with doctors about addiction being a disease and alcohol and all that. I'm not going to ever win that argument, but I do right. think I can, I do think I can help people rewire, rewire, how they look at the abuse of whatever they're addicted to. That's where I think the sweet spot is in this whole uh, journey that I'm on. And I do like this whole um, looking at addiction from a more global viewpoint. You know, we do have a tendency to go immediately to negative, but I love this idea of the positive because that's really empowering. It, it really is a choice that then we get to make. And I think, then people can feel like they have more control over how they show up, how they motor in the world. And that was, Diana, a huge um, motivation for me when I came up with my nonprofit, uh, which is now next month will be one year that my nonprofit's been up and running. And I went back and forth and back and forth. And I finally uh, gravitated to the Choices Network. That's what I came up with. And I didn't want to be a sober living organization. I, I personally think way too much emphasis is spent on uh, pressuring ourselves with self you know, public affirmation constantly about how sober you are. It's like the more you, it's like a monster you're creating inside of you. Uh, and the more you talk about your sobriety, the more it becomes uh, a problem. And so for me, I didn't, I don't tell people I, I gave up alcohol because that would insinuate I'm missing something. For me, it was, I just choose not to drink this moment. Yeah. You know, like, this today, right now, talking to Diane, I choose not to drink alcohol. And that's the only game I play in my head. And so I'm trying to teach people to go back and, and, and maybe look at this from a whole different mindset, and maybe empower us to be stronger than, than maybe we're given credit for. Um, and um, I've, I've always kind of felt this way. It didn't take, it didn't take the death of my son to all of a sudden, you know, catapult me to this realm of understanding. I've always kind of had this mindset that I think we just don't give ourselves as much credit, how strong we can be. Um, yeah. You know, if you, if you allow me to, I, I would like to spend sure. a few minutes just on the day that Seth died. Sure. Um, and going back to that particular moment is my opening chapter in my book. And it was a nice day. We were, my wife and I were taking, I was taking my son over to play in his high school golf districts. Like every business owner that has children, you know, we have little league and softball and basketball. And it, it kind of is a release for us to get away from our, the stresses of our job. So, you know, I was very, you know, excited about Ian. I was driving him to um, 
to uh, drop them off at what they called the bus barn. That's where all the, the players and the, the, the coaches met. And it was 6.30 in the morning, had my coffee in my hand, and um, I was taking out my son's golf clubs out of the back of the, of the truck, and my phone rang. And I looked at the phone and I knew at 630 in the morning, this was going to be probably a tough call. And within a few few seconds, my life was never the same. And um, I got a a call that they found my son, Seth, at 23 years old in a hotel room, sitting in his chair, a needle in his arm, and his tourniquet was tossed on his bed. And... That's how they found my son, alone and cold and scared. And, yeah. you know, we we drove up to the motel where they found him, and it was that stereotypical CD motel, what you'd expect in the movies. Yeah. And um, I went into his room, and no one else really wanted to go into his room. And on his bed, that's where I saw the belt in a tourniquet. And it dawned on me that, you know, he had, he had never even made it out of, out of his chair into his bed. And it, it took his life right there at that moment. And I just decided, you know, I called my dad on the way home and my dad's a retired physician. I have a lot of respect for him. And I asked him, you know, hey, dad, how do I tell my, my other two boys that their older brother's dead? And um, that was that was tough. And my dad yeah. said, Jeff, my dad said, Jeff, tell them the truth and then shut your mouth. And that's what I did. And I sat him on the couch and I said, boys, I have some bad news for you. Um, your brother's dead. And my middle son, Ian, you know, after a few seconds of just very quiet moment, my son said, how'd he die? Drugs? And I said, wow. yeah. And that was the end of an eight-year journey that we had went through with Seth. Started, yeah. with, Adder- started with Adderall. And it went to alcohol, marijuana, and cocaine, and ended it with heroin. And so I write about in the book the the, the long eight year journey we had, and what I learned from it. And you know, not learn as in what would I have done to kept him alive? I'm not sure I could have done anything. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I'm pretty sure if it wasn't that day, Diana, it would have been another day. Yeah. Um, but so I'm very I'm very intrigued. I'm very curious. I'm on a learning mission. Um, on why my son thought that these methods were good ways to deal with whatever pain he was going through. And I will never find an answer. I'm mm-hmm. at peace with that, but I will never let my son down. I will never stop searching. And that's what drives me. And so the Choices Network came from the concept that I don't want to tell people what not to do. I think my story will make that pretty clear, what roads not to go down. But I want to teach kids to make better choices. And I'm not anti-drinking. I'm not even anti-marijuana. Um, I know a lot of states are making it legal. And I tell the boys, mm-hmm. just because it, it's legal doesn't mean you have to do it. Right. Um, you know, I think there's far too much emphasis on this because it's legal. All of a sudden, it's like candy. And I'm like, you know, alcohol is legal. I don't drink. So, yeah. Um, but anyway, that's, that's the whole momentum behind the book and then the, the nonprofit that I formed and the Living Undeterred living undeterred um, website that I have with the blogs and the podcasts. And, and I just keep feel like I'm getting pushed into, into new experiences that I'm extremely honored to be able to partake in. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I so appreciate you uh, coming on this podcast and not only sharing your experience, 
Um, but, you know, some of the lessons that you've learned from it, but also that you brought to it, because because I hear you that um, some of some of your strengths you had before, uh, you know, uh, Seth's passing. So, right. yeah, I, I think this is, you know, it's a it's a tremendously valuable story and book, and I am grateful to you for sharing it. Will you let the listeners know how they can get the book, please? Yeah. Uh, the website that I have is it's www.livingundeterred.com. And that site will take you into the nonprofit. It'll take you into the book that you can order. Um, the book is called This One's For You, An Inspirational Journey Through Addiction, Death, and Meaning. And um, people can contribute financially to my nonprofit. It's um, uh, 100% of the proceeds of the book go into the Choices Network, and uh, the money is used to help us get out and talk to kids and parents about making better choices on these issues. So again, it's livingundeterred.com, and people can order the book right there. Thank you for that, and, and as I said, for um, sharing all of this with the listeners. Listeners, you know, take heed, right? Uh, pay very close attention to the um, the, the messages that, that you're getting in this episode. Uh, I would also like to thank our sponsor. Please go to audibletrial.com slash business growth. Sign up for a free trial of audible.com and explore the programming and the audiobooks that are there for you. And get your sales strategy headed in the right direction uh, by picking up a copy of Succeed Without Selling on amazon.com or wherever books are sold. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. Okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Full send with the driver? Check. Piercing iron through the wind? Check. Low checker, high spinner, flop to a tight pin? Check, check, and check. No matter what shot you need to pull off, there's one ball that's better for them all. The all-new TP5 and 5X from TaylorMade. With a newly redesigned dimple pattern, engineered for more distance, more control around the green, and better stability in the wind, it's the hottest tour ball in golf. So no matter what shot you face, there's one ball that's better for all. The TP5 and 5X from TaylorMade. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.